Now hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 26, and reading verses 47 to 56. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And when he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put away your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. Our uh, passage this morning is uh, uh, often uh, entitled, uh, The Arrest. But this, in my own mind, makes Jesus something of a passive uh, victim. If you think of uh, one of the great texts that uh, say otherwise, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, in the 18th uh, verse, uh, we do read, as I have uh, suggested, uh, quite the contrary. Uh, no one takes, this is Jesus speaking, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. From an earthly perspective, he's going to be arrested, but from the heavenly perspective and from the perspective of the believer, He's simply giving himself over because he's not passive. There's a great difference between giving and being taken, and Jesus is giving himself over to those who come to arrest him. It's even more remarkable than that is uh, gives himself over to evil, uh, the purest form of evil that there is. Uh, but he's taking the initiative to save, and therefore is in complete control of what's about to happen. It's the sovereignty of Jesus. Now, we learn of his sovereignty is first he rebukes his disciples for resisting what I call prophetic determinism. This has all been determined, it's all been prophesied. He rebukes them for resisting the word of God. Verses 51 to 54. 
And then, in a remarkable reminder, he rebukes the crowd for their responsibility and complicity in this purest form of evil, and as well for the prophetic determinism that is in complete control of the evil that they are about to perpetrate. Again, verses 55 to 56. So our Lord's sovereignty and his arrest is on display uh, in the arresting party. Uh, he could never be taken uh, apart from uh, his uh, voluntary willingness, if you will. Uh, the crowd is looking for Jesus, uh, but in the Jehannine account, uh, he takes the initiative. Uh, John chapter 18, uh, in the fourth verse, uh, is... Is just this. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, it's remarkable in and of itself, because he knows the evil that is about to occur, uh, went out and asked them, who do you want? So Jesus goes out. They're searching for him. He opens himself to the arrest. He goes to meet them almost as if two parties are about to collide, and they are, but he takes the initiative. I do simply remind you of the incredible weight that is pressing upon the humanity of our Savior in this incredible act of humiliation and submission. Now, furthermore, he is uh, steeled uh, all the more by the prayer uh, in Gethsemane. Good reminder for all of us. Uh, we face evil. Jesus goes to meet it, but he goes steeled uh, by prayer. Uh, and remarkable resolve to do the will of the Father in setting his own will aside. Something uh, all of us must learn on a daily basis. Yet he goes voluntarily in control of it all. Think of it. He could have had a change of heart. No, he couldn't have. Again, in light of the prophetic determinism, the word of God must be fulfilled. But just play with me, if you will. He could have had a change. He could have thought, uh, no, this isn't for me. I, I just simply can't do it this way. I'm, I'm going to be in retreat. And then we would have been lost forever. Every moment, his thoughts are of his church, of us. He could have fled. He could have nudged Peter and said, look, <laughs> not today. Let's, let's try this again next week. And then our salvation would have crumbled uh, like a spider web being swept away by the household maid servant. But no, all is set in motion to save us. The sovereignty of our Savior in control of everything. The will of the Father that has determined his response. Now, we read in the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, in the 22nd verse. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. I know there are many Christians. Uh, 
that have a difficulty with the decrees of God that from eternity past, he owns everything and sets everything in motion. And here, in the purest form of all of evil, he goes as it has been decreed to manifest his sovereignty over this entire event. Uh, for us, it's a reminder that he is sovereign over evil. His willing obedience is to put himself in harm's way for his people. To shield his disciples and to win our salvation. In that sense, this is no arrest. He's giving himself for his church. Well, if he's uh, sovereign uh, over the arresting party, he is uh, also a sovereign over his betrayal and the one who's going to betray him, Judas. We know this from the Gospel of John, the last couple of verses. If you have your New Testament, and I trust you do, I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, John chapter 6, going to read beginning in the 70th verse. Jesus replied, have I not chosen you? Again, he has the 12 apostles in his mind here. Have I not chosen you? Well, of course he has. He's chosen all of them. Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. In other words, he elected Judas as his betrayer. Judas is reprobated as part of uh, our Lord's complete control over the event. Uh, Judas is a, is a pathetic figure. He, for a season, hung with the apostolic party but eventually he defects. I say that in terms of application. Uh, sometimes people come into the church and they just kind of hang around for a season. Well, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a shot, see what it's like. Uh, put in my time for a season. Uh, put it on my, uh, my resume that I spent a few moments at church. But that's the issue. You don't simply hang around Jesus. There are only two types of men, our lords and the enemy. We have this notion that there's this vast middle ground, but there is no middle ground. John, in his gospel, has it this way. Judas the traitor was standing with the arresting party. He had taken his stand and defected and turned to the evil and the dark way. He is sifted by the word of God to the dark side, never to be recovered throughout all eternity. So I simply say by way of reminder of our Lord's sovereignty of this event, uh, if you have this notion that there's a, a middle ground that you can kind of hang around for a season, you'll be okay. You need to disabuse yourself of such nonsense because Judas is the quintessential example of someone who hangs around the party, gives himself as a follower of Jesus, but for a season, and then in great violence, he sifted and goes uh, to pure evil. I take the phrase in verse 50 of Matthew 26, 
Do what you came for is an imperative. Jesus is commanding him. It's like on the night of the betrayal in the transition of the Passover meal to our Lord's table, uh, Jesus turns to Judas and says, what you're about to do, do quickly. It's an imperative. He's commanding Judas. Judas can do nothing else but to obey. Do quickly. And then John reads, as you know, he went out and it was night. In a moment, Christ commands him and he's shoved into the blackest of darkness for all eternity. Meaning that our Lord is sovereign over every event, even his betrayal. He sets it all in motion. He's not being taken. He's giving himself for his church. The majesty of our Savior. Giving himself for you, for me. It's seen in... uh, in, in the response of uh, the arresting party, John, I think, in the 18th chapter, captures this sentiment uh, in a remarkable a way, uh, capturing our Lord's sovereignty uh, as our Lord identifies himself momentarily to those who have come to arrest him. And, of course, the immediate response of the crowd He asks the crowd, uh, who is it you're looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. John chapter 18 and verse 5 has uh, the single Greek verb, uh, I am. First person singular pronoun, I am. It's part of the great I am statements of the Gospel of John. John chapter 6 and verse 35, I'm the bread of life. You eat Christ, you live forever. I'm the light of the world. We live in a world of perpetual darkness, not so for the Christian. We have the light who gives us light to walk by. We're drawn to him because he is light. We were once children of darkness, but we are drawn to the Savior by the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. I love, of course, John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The end time resurrection begins with Jesus. Uh, but the, the phrase uh, I am is, again, in my own mind, an allusion to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God is commissioning Moses. Moses wants to know uh, what God's name is so he can go back and tell his countrymen uh, who has uh, sent him. Uh, God simply says to Moses, tell them I am. Has sent you. It's an expression of the active, independent, and eternal existence of God. There's only one independent in all of the universe, and that is God. That is Jesus, Spirit, Father. Everyone else and everything else is dependent, save God. And we read in John after he identifies himself to the crowd that they drew back and fell to the ground. He simply calls his name, and they retreat, fall to the ground.
It is as if he momentarily lifts the veil of his divine glory, causing them to prostrate themselves in fear. That God has appeared in Jesus and they catch momentarily a glimpse. They fall to the ground. The party has come to arrest him and he flashes the credentials of his eternal divinity. In the words of Sir Edwin Hoskins, the instruments of evil fall prostrate before their true commander. The wonderful application here, if in a moment evil worships the Savior, how ought we to conduct every moment of our lives? But in his uh, sovereignty, uh, Jesus uh, holds his uh, small band at, uh, at bay and, uh, and the armies of heaven. It's a very unnatural account in terms of humanity. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, studied uh, but a small measure of the great evil men of the world, but uh, you, know, you think of uh, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Mao, When they were ever confronted with danger, they sent others to die for them. They spent others in their cause. They would always retreat to safety. Others were to go die for them. It's not the way it's done in the economy of salvation. Uh, Jesus uh, goes to protect his own to save his people. Uh, you know, you think of... Uh, all the great institutions, uh, the exalted head sends the others to do the messy work. They're above it all, not Jesus. He's above nothing. He sets everything aside. Uh, the voluntary use of his attributes, uh, his heavenly environment, because he is going to give himself. He's not being taken. He's going, it's the greatest gift of all time, but he is active over everything and sovereign over it all. Now we know from uh, Luke 22nd chapter that his uh, small band of disciples have two swords. Uh, verse 49, Luke 22, they say, should we fight? I mean, there's a you know, Roman uh, uh, soldiers, professional killers, uh, temple guard, They want to fight. It's a good sentiment. Uh, Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest named Malchus. It's, uh, it's admirable. I think we have to give Peter momentary uh, accolades, a momentary flash of impetuous courage. Uh, but he misses, cuts his ear off. Uh, Jesus heals him. That in and of itself is display of the messianic credentials that he can take what has been severed, fix it in a moment. Doesn't need to retire and pray. He just simply fixes it because he's the creator of uh, eyes and ears, tongues, nose, uh, and, of course, the soul. Uh, Jesus commands Peter, uh, Matthew 26, 
Verse 52, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. A good reminder here, uh, so many in our culture today, that uh, faith is advanced by love and not the sword. That's, that's how false religion does it. They advance the faith by the sword. You and I are not given uh, that avenue. Such means are denied us in advancing the faith. We advance the faith by love, not the sword. The sword is given to civil government, not to the church. So he rebukes his small, uh, motley band. We've got a couple of swords going against professional soldiers. 53rd verse of Matthew 26. You know, I think I can call upon my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12,000, pardon me, 12 legions of angels. He only needs to ask his heavenly father. Uh, The armies of heaven would have been at his uh, complete disposal. You can see the majesty of our Savior here because he's restraining himself. His humanity is in full constraint because he is going to save. In no way is he a victim. In no way is he being arrested. He's in complete control. A Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. 12 legions mean one for each man in the party. Enough to dispatch with the arresting party. Christ is in complete control, not only of Judas, not only of the arresting party, not only of his disciples, but of himself. It's a good reminder if our Lord can arrest his anger, speaks to us about a path of forgiveness, controlling our own anger, uh, someone who's wronged us, maybe even betrayed us, maybe even took an advantage of us. You have nothing on Jesus. 90, uh, 91st Psalm, in the 11th verse, promise that speaks to Jesus, but it speaks to all of us. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. That you don't simply wander into the path of the Redeemer willy-nilly. The angels have charge over you to keep you and to preserve you. That your soul has been won by the Savior and will be delivered unto eternity by the power of the armies of heaven. It's a great illustration of this in... uh, Uh, 2 Kings, 6th chapter, verses 15, 17. Uh, Elisha and his servants are having a difficult time because they're surrounded by armies. Elisha is in complete control. He's not worried about anything. He knows that God is sovereign. Uh, But his servants, another matter. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. He goes to Elisha. Oh, oh my Lord, what shall we do? 
Elisha responds. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's a great reminder, isn't it? I mean, all of us have to fight battles alone sometimes, but we are never alone as Christians. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, even at our disposal, angels uh, watch over us. The armies of heaven guarding the saints, keeping them all along the way. So Jesus holds his army at bay. We can well imagine the forces of the angels are straining against the leash. Jesus restrains himself and restrains them. That he is giving himself for us. He is no passive victim in this purest of all forms of evil. He controls the parties on earth and in heaven. The prophet Daniel is a wonderful a book, study of the majesty of God. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then the section closes with prophetic determinism. Verse 54. Matthew 26. It is a necessity to be this way that Scripture be fulfilled. So he restrains his disciples based upon the Word of God. Again, application for each of us to restrain ourselves in light of the Word of God. Uh, that it be supreme. Think of it in this way. He suspends his protection. Who does that? <laughs> Very few people do. Maybe like the President of the United States uh, going to a, uh, let's say, a city controlled by the uh, opposing party from which he's received lots of hate mail and he tells his, uh, his uh, Secret Service agents to uh, go on holiday. It just doesn't happen that way. It does with our Lord. The president is in control, really, of nothing. Jesus is in control of everything. And so he goes, suspending his protection. He is the eternal word, fulfilling the word. So he rebukes his own uh, to display his majesty, his control over the event. And now he's going to rebuke the evil party the arresting party. Uh, says, I was openly teaching you in the temple. Why didn't you take me then? <laughs> well, I mean, they couldn't take him then. It's not his time. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 39. It's a great illustration of our Lord's ministry. Everything is measured. Everything according to the will of God. 
John chapter 10, verse 39, they tried to seize him, to arrest him, but he escapes their grasp. Just chance, right? Yeah, chance. The luck of the Irish. It's nonsense. That's foolish talk. That's silly talk. There is no such thing as luck. He eludes their grasp because he glazes over their eyes that he might slip away. Oftentimes, uh, armies uh, mask their movements with uh, the smoke. Sometimes a single infantryman has a smoke grenade. They pull a smoke grenade and just smoke is everywhere. So he can escape, withdraw, disengage, uh, not be seen, not be targeted. Jesus doesn't need to carry a smoke grenade simply commands a glaze to cover their eyes and slips away. Now, by the way, you cannot be lost in our Lord's economy. It's a measured control of every event. Matthew 26, 18, it says, now's my time. Go tell the man who owns the house. He has a room. I need it. My time is at hand. The phrase uh, in verse 55, Matthew, uh, Matthew 26, uh, is in my uh, translation at that time. It's literally in the Greek text in that hour. In my mind, this is an echo of the Septuagint of Daniel 12, verse 1. Uh, reference to, uh, at that hour, great time of tribulation, so great, never happen again. I think Jesus is inaugurating the end time tribulation. He's starting it. Culminate, of course, at the cross. Meaning, once again, that he's in complete control of the time, and not just the time, the events of the time. But like the previous rebuke, uh, uh, this one uh, ends in the same way. Uh, verse 56. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophet might be fulfilled. It's a great reminder to give yourself to the study, the reading, the practice, submission to the Word of God because it lasts forever. It cannot be broken. We can break the precepts of God in Scripture, uh, but it, for even that, there is a penalty, but the Word of God is to be kept, and everything that the Word of God has foretold is going to happen. People are desperate in this world to know but a glimpse of the future. You know, they seek uh, market gurus to tell them uh, going up or going down. What should I do? Speak to me, O great wise one, you who read chicken guts and whatever the prognosticators study. I mean, I know it's more scientific than that, but really, it's just the best guess. But scripture, it's speaking to the future. There's no guess. 
It's the word of the Lord. It's going to happen. It's the reason that we are Christians, that we give ourselves to following the path of our Savior in love of the word of God. Jesus goes to the event in complete charge. The outcome is certain. Uh, the wisest man in all of the world uh, tells us about just such an event in Proverbs chapter 16, fourth verse. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 4. The Lord works out everything for its own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Now tell me, is God sovereign over evil or not? Solomon answers with a resounding yes. Even evil for the day of disaster. Uh, there is a tragic uh, reference to this. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22, the 53rd verse. Our Lord is speaking, uh, but he tells the crowd, I was with you in the temple courts and you never laid a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. He gives himself over actively as the sovereign Lord. This is your time, but he's giving it to them. They're taking nothing from him because he's in charge. And I say that not simply for pure repetitive purposes, but that you might understand the majesty of him who gave his life, the one for the many, the great and only redeemer of God's elect, even Christ. That even in this terrible event in which pure evil reigns under the aegis of God, is winning you for eternal life. It's a redemptive event that he goes to win his people. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. John 18, 11, put your sword, put your sword up. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? going to drink it. He willingly drinks it. He willingly receives it. You know, generally in our culture, uh, when there's great disaster, people flee. Sometimes uh, armies that are attacking uh, will tell citizens of a city to flee because they're about to bomb it, destroy everything. Jesus is not in flight. He goes to the enemy. He goes to the evil. He embraces the cup. He drinks it for us, for our salvation. The reason he goes is ineluctably part of our salvation that he gives himself. By the way, there's a great application here, I think, for all of us as Christians. Uh, Oftentimes, we run across believers who are entirely passive in their display of the Christian faith. They go to church, but they're passive. 
They live out their entire uh, Christian experience, but they're passive. You cannot be passive. You must be active. Jesus is actively in control of everything, and you and I must be actively giving us, ourselves in the worship of Him who gave Himself for us. And if our Savior can submit Himself to evil as a display of the majesty of God, so ought we to confront evil with submission, with peace, with joy, understanding that the Word of God and the will of God is having its way that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not unmindful that there are means that we are to use, and we must use those means. Uh, in fact, I remind you again, our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane has used the great means of prayer, and there he steals himself for what is about to happen. But nonetheless, uh, let us uh, learn from our Savior uh, actively giving himself that we might actively give ourselves for the advancement of the kingdom of God in light of what here he is doing for each of us. So this event, entitled in most Bibles that I've looked at, uh, The Arrest, uh, is really, I think, a misnomer. Because Jesus sets in motion the greatest tragedy of all time. It also puts on display the unparalleled actions of a sovereign redeemer in complete control of himself and his demise to accomplish the will of the Father for the salvation of his people. He shields us, wins for us life everlasting. In that sense, evil cannot prevent him. He came to save. Save he will, and save he does. And so, worship we should, and worship we must.